Welcome to Rise Up For You, a unique podcast dedicated to uplifting women in their day-to-day life. Through interviews with various experts on relationships, investing, self-worth, entrepreneurship, and more, this podcast is committed to spreading knowledge to all women. Rise Up For You, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater tomorrow. Hi everyone, I'm Natalina, the founder of Rise Up For You. I am so excited that you're here with us today. We have an amazing episode on a topic that is just so fascinating. I can't wait for you guys to hear what we're doing today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for making the choice to uplift yourself, rise up to be better, and to motivate yourself to be the best version that you can be. So let's jump in and meet our guest today. Vanessa Van Edwards, who's joining us today, is a behavioral investigator and published author. She figures out the science of what makes people tick at our human behavior research lab, The Science of People. As a geeky modern-day Dale Carnegie, her innovative work has been featured on NPR, Business Week, CNN, The Wall Street Journal, The Today Show, and USA Today. Her Science of People approach has benefited both readers and corporations as Vanessa has consulted for multiple Fortune 500 companies, including American Express. Rise up for you and enjoy this episode. Hi, Vanessa. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for um, for doing this. I'm really excited to speak with you, and I'm just fascinated with the topic. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited to be here. It'll be a good conversation. Okay. Vanessa, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I run a human behavior research lab in Portland, Oregon, and uh, we study all the hidden forces that drive our behavior. And so human behavior puzzles, lie detection, body language, all that, all that kind of fun stuff. So that, I mean, that's a fascinating subject. What sparked your interest in that? People skills did not come naturally to me in the beginning. Uh, I joke that I'm a recovering awkward person. And uh, so when I was younger, I just, I was terrified of going out on the playground. Um, Large groups sort of intimidated me. And when I got into college, it really started to affect my performance because we had, you know, presentations and group work. And one of my professors said to me, you know, I think that if you approach people like you approach math, maybe that would actually work for you. And that was the first time that anyone had ever sort of explained people in more of a black and white way and less of a soft skills, more of a hard skills. So he gave me a bunch of psychology textbooks and anthropology textbooks. And I slowly started to understand people um, in terms of a hard skill, the, the formulas, how we work, what drives our behavior. And um, that sort of sparked this movement where I realized there were people like me out there. And that's exactly who we help. And, and it's so important, especially in this day and age, everything that we do is through human connection. And that, and I'm, I'm the same. Like I was a very, very shy young girl And then I actually ended up becoming a performer, which is the complete opposite. But even off the stage, I was shy. I was awkward. I didn't know how to socialize. I didn't know how to connect with people. And when I was on stage, I was a completely different person. And so much of what we do, whether we're an entrepreneur or we're an educator, we're running our own business, we're a coworker, has to do with our our communication through physically through our body and how we act and how we portray ourselves. So I want I want to know if you can talk a little bit about how to make a stand as a person, how to be memorable when you walk in, how to command a room, how to get the attention and not be awkward when you're socializing. 
Sure. So I think that that's something that, you know, we're actually thinking about all the time, you know, how to show up memorable, how to, how to have a strong presence. And I think that what you talked about, about sort of being on stage and being a different person, that's actually really common. And it, it helps me answer this question because I think that the biggest mistake that people make is they feel like they have to be on in every room. Like to be the most normal person in a room, they have to be able to constantly and always be on and charming and sweep into a situation and just, you know, be, be a magnet for everything good. Uh, and that's actually not only not possible, but it's also much harder than trying to figure out where you naturally fit. So most people do not fit into the introvert extrovert categories, most people. Um, and most of us are actually ambiverts. Ambiverts are where we can, we turn on or off different qualities depending on where we are. Certain situations, we're very extroverted. Certain situations, we're very introverted. Or you'll hear ambiverts feel or say things like, you know, as long as I've had sort of my recharge time or my alone time or um, my, my prep time, I'm great. Or that, you know, at work, I'm an extrovert and at home, I'm an introvert or whatever it is. That's actually the key. It's figuring out where you thrive and where you survive. So when you think about where you go out, so this could be, you know, work situations, networking, conferences. It could be personal situations like going out to bars or nightclubs or concerts or parties. Where are the places that you look forward to going? You love going to them. You, you get excited about it, thinking about it. And where are the places that you dread going? So you're like, oh, I hope I don't, oh, I wish I didn't have to do that tonight. Um, and try to go late and leave early. Um, I think that optimizing your time so that you're spending less time in those survive places and more time in your th thrive places are actually the best way that you can even begin to think about being memorable in the room because we are attracted to people who are having a really good time, period. If we know someone is having an awesome time, they're having fun, uh, they're in that excitement stage, that is very contagious. And so that's impossible to do in a place where you're, you're just surviving. What are some tips that you can say, like if they, you know, if they want to be an entrepreneur, for example, and networking is such a huge component of that, how, how do they break that box and, and get out of that shell that they have? Um, so that's a huge question. Uh, like, right. That if I, if I could answer that quickly, I think we'd all be better off. Yeah, I, definitely. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah the, the starting point, cause there definitely is a starting point. Um, is to uh, trigger dopamine. So when we look at people, and forgive me, I'm a total science geek, so uh, if this gets too, too geeky, we can back up. But, um, I never really understood when I went you know, to networking events or pitching, you know, why is it that certain people would walk into a room or get on stage and just everyone would light up. It was almost like they were like this beacon where everyone would just like kind of be attracted to them. And that is actually something quite chemical that happens that when we're with someone who we really like or someone who is really charismatic, what they're doing in our brain is triggering this little chemical called dopamine. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter that is produced when we feel rewards or we receive a gift, when we feel pleasure. It's the chemical explanation for pleasure in our brain. When we have that kind of, ooh, exciting feeling, that feeling, that's actually dopamine. Um, and people can trigger this. In fact, people are the best way to trigger dopamine. And it happens um, not only when you get a gift or give someone a gift, but it can also happen when you give someone a verbal gift. And so when you're in those places that you really like, so you're, you're having a good time, that in itself is like a great baseline. The second thing you want to do is try to trigger dopamine in people's brains. Uh, one of the easiest ways to do this is to get them talking about themselves. 
Uh, our brain, we love to talk about ourselves. Our brain lights up when we are talking about us. And that's actually surprising when you ask most people, what's, what do you think is the most fun topic to talk about? People will often say gossip, relationships, celebrities. Um, but actually we love to talk about ourselves. So the best way to be impressive is actually to let people impress you. Similar to this, because like I said, I, I've worked with a lot of performers and they, we often talk about how to make a, a stance, you know, when you walk into a room or when you walk on stage. And I always tell them something similar to that matter, but to save in their brain and to talk about themselves mentally, right? Like, doesn't that come more from yourself also and confidence, would you say, or not really? Definitely, definitely. So there was a study that was done, and let me see if I can remember the details of it, but you'll get the general idea, which is basically backing up what you just said. So they had, uh, they gave people um, quizzes on charisma to see what their kind of charisma quotient was. Uh, and they sort of separated the groups out. So they had the very highly charismatic people and the very low charismatic people, people who ranked low. So they had the extremes. And what they did is they asked pairs of these people to literally stand in a room together. All they did, no talking, is they would walk into a room and stand and look at each other in the room for two minutes. No talking. Hmm. <laughs> and then they had them leave the room and they did these post, pre and post survey questions. How do you feel? How was your day? What's your mood like right now? What they found was, is the highly charismatic people transferred their mood to the low charismatic people. And that was whether or not their mood was positive or negative. So people who are actually um, very attuned to others, if you're having a bad day, if you're feeling low confidence, you actually spread that, you infect that to everyone around you. Whereas if you're having a really good day, you're feeling really confident, you make everyone around you feel good. I think that this is the explanation for like, you know, posses of like celebrities and rappers is yes, of course they, they have, they can party and, and have money, but it's also that if that person feels like they're a star in their own way, everyone around them, their entire group feels that way too. It's like, it's like a, a little a drug of dopamine that you want because you want those positive feelings. Absolutely. And when you're, and when you don't have that and when you're not surrounded by it, you actually shy away and, and move away from those people. I mean, I do that myself. Yep, exactly. And we, we're very good at self-regulating. I think that when I talk about like the thrive, survive locations, we intuitively know this. We just so very rarely actually act on it. And so we are very good at, as humans at self-regulating, knowing, for example, do you have someone who's really toxic in your life? And we talk about toxicity or toxic people a lot on our website. Um, the question is, who are they and what kind of toxic are they? Are they conversational narcissists? Are they egomaniacs? Are they Debbie Downers? Are they drama magnets? Like what, what kind of toxic is it? And how can you optimize to either pull away or set up boundaries to protect yourself? I believe that there is a majority of people that don't get this concept. And why do you think that is? I mean, I used to be an executive and I did a lot of hiring, a lot of interviewing. And I can't tell you how many people. And, you know, the first question I always ask is, how are you? How, how was your day today before I interview them? And I can't tell you how many times my interview stopped mentally after that question because so many people were like, oh, my day sucked. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, I don't, I'm not sure I want to hire somebody that has that kind of energy, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so what's funny is um, we, we are not so great at knowing how we come across. So um, in fact, the worse you come across, typically the worse you are at knowing that. Uh, there was, uh, I was talking to a researcher and, uh, he said that 
what he finds is the people who are actually like the most narcissistic, the most um, like they come across as braggarts or, or annoying, they actually think they're the life of the party more than anyone else in the room. And so it's this very weird thing. I don't know exactly why that happens. Uh, maybe maybe it's actually a not a chicken and the egg problem. Maybe because they are so bad at reading cues, they actually don't dial back those behaviors. And right. So it's, it's actually the cause of that. <laughs> so what what is our body language saying? I know this is such a huge topic, but can you break down maybe some things that we do with our body that can come across negative that people might not know is coming across negative. Like I, I know that I used to make faces, for example, and it wasn't until a mentor of mine told me, you realize that the faces that you make come across extremely negative. And I'm like, they do? No, they don't. Like, yeah, you need to go look in the mirror. So that was a practice that I actually had to commit to and look at myself in the mirror and making sure that what I was thinking necessarily I wasn't portraying physically. So what are some things that we do with our body that could come across that way that maybe we as listeners can start, um, you know, managing and monitoring for ourselves? Yeah, um, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, about your facial expression. So facial expressiveness is a really good thing, but you are absolutely right if you express or hold your face in um, negative ways. So anything along the anger lines or the contempt lines, that comes across as very negative. So um, it's I would highly recommend for everyone watching one of the best things you can do for yourself in terms of your body language is actually film yourself talking on the phone. So over the next few weeks, ah. yeah, it's, it's painful. It's painful. <laughs> I know it's horrible. Uh, but the next few weeks when you have, you know, calls with different kinds of people, a friend, a client, a colleague, a boss, a parent, um, just turn on your phone or turn on your computer camera and film yourself for just a few minutes we have no idea how what we look like when we're listening because we we look in the mirror when we are purposely looking in the mirror right right, like we right. Have our face and our body exactly how we want it to look <laughs> and so we don't realize often how we look when we're listening to someone when we're giving bad news when we're hearing bad news um, or when we're chatting when we're giving feedback um, it will that that in itself can radically improve your body language just being aware of how you're holding your face or your body so some of the cues that we have from a nonverbal perspective that come across as negative that we don't realize are actually our head positioning and our head behavior. And this is great because if we're on video chat with people or we're at a coffee shop or we're seated, our head position is, you know, a huge part of our nonverbal, part of our body language. So uh, first, if you, if you wear glasses or if you have sunglasses on, anytime you peer above the bridge of your sunglasses or your glasses, that actually is a very scrutinizing, judgmental, negative gesture. Um, when anytime both men or women do this, it, it puts the other person on edge just a little bit. So be a little careful if you wear glasses. Also looking down your nose at someone. So when someone tips their head back, and you can actually try this if you're listening, tip your head back and peer down your nose at the screen, that's also a very critical scrutinizing gesture. And I think the reason for this is because it's very close to a nonverbal gesture of anger. So anger is when we jut our chin out. When we're angry at someone or we're like kind of territorial, you'll notice that before men get into a fist fight, they'll often like jut their chin at each other. It's like a kind of threatening move. And so when we tip our head back and accidentally juts our chin at people. And so when you're at rest, when you're thinking, be aware, watch your video on the phone to make sure that you're not listening that way because it can send off very critical, uh, unapproachable cues. Very interesting. And that last one took me off guard because 
I often do that, but I do it more in a I'm thinking reflective moment as opposed to anger. That's interesting. Yeah, and, and that's common, right? Because like, so when you're reflecting or trying to figure something out, you sort of pull back from the situation because you're trying to figure something out, right? That's that's a disengagement. That's a way. Um, whenever we distance, we move our body back, we lean back, we tilt our head back. Those are all distancing behaviors, and they are dislike behaviors, but they are also space behaviors. So for trying to figure something out, you'll notice people will push back their chair. You know, they right. push back their chair and kind of. They're, they're like, they they look away. They're trying to process. The problem is that can come across as very negative. Uh, That's right. And the one, one of the physical things that really bothers me and a lot of people that I work with and mentor, I always tell them like, stop doing it is when people have their arms crossed. And for some reason, I mean, that's a thing that a lot of people do. It's very, very common, but they don't realize that when their arms are crossed, it it comes across very closed off, um, maybe not secure. And that's something for me that I'm always like, put your arms down, put them by your side. Yeah, that's, I think that that's the most obvious one, uh, uh, the easiest one, the most obvious one, low-hanging fruit. If you're crossing your arms, uh, just stopping that behavior can help a lot. And the reason for that is because anytime that we block, so when we cover our torso, and that can be with our arms, so crossing our arms, it could also even be putting our hands tightly across uh, our, our groin or our lap. It could also be holding, clutching a laptop to your chest or clutching a clipboard to your chest. For example, I um, work with a lot of dentists and a lot of doctors on their bedside manner. And they will sometimes, especially when they're nervous or out of habit, clutch the clipboard or the chart to their chest. That is actually a blocking behavior. Anytime we have something in between, a barrier in between your torso and someone else's torso, that actually, it puts up sort of a physical disconnect. We like to have what's what's called fronting our torsos open and and angled towards each other. It's a nonverbal sign of respect. And so anytime that you are blocking or you're crossing or disengaging in that way, it's actually nonverbally disrespectful. You're telling the other person, I am not completely in sync with you, which is the last thing you want to do, especially on accident. Right. I mean, this this subject is so fascinating. I, I love talking with you about it. Is there anything else that you can um, maybe give us some tips or feedback on the, the biggest one is um, congruency, and it's not something that we think about a lot, but our body carries a lot more weight than our words, and so if you show up to an event and you are very unhappy about being there, um, and, and you say to someone, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to be here, you know, your words are saying one thing, but your body's saying another, and people will almost always assign more weight, 12.5 times the research finds, we assign 12.5 times more weight to our body. And so it's really important that before you even show up anywhere, the best thing you can do for yourself is to make sure that you actually want to be there because that comes out in your cues, both verbally and non-verbally. Right. And what would you say about eye contact? Like I, I go to a lot of events quite often where, you know, we don't necessarily all know each other. And the one thing that I look for is eye contact. And I find that a lot of people, they stare at the ground or they stare off into nowhere. I believe it's really important to keep your eyes up and to be able to look at one another, to connect and to be open. Yeah. So it's just, there's a spectrum. So with nonverbal, when you're talking about ideals, 
typically it's, it falls somewhere in the middle. So for example, a hundred percent eye contact is actually uh, an invasive cue. Right. So the, I've, I've seen um, MBAs who got, have gotten advice during their, during their time at school and they're told make a hundred percent eye contact with someone. And then no, you become uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. You become uncomfortable. So that's the high end. The low end is anything below 60%. So uh, that's considered avoidant or distant or nervous or shifty. So the ideal eye contact and the average conversation is between 60 to 70%. That's like the sweet spot. So you can definitely look away as you're processing, you know, you can gesture down, but what's really important is that as they're speaking, as you're speaking, you're constantly rechecking in or anchoring with their eyes to make sure that they know, yep, you're with them. You are totally engaged and with them. Absolutely. And if you want someone to connect with you or come up to you, you know, staring at the ground isn't going to invite them in. (laughs) Or your phone. Worse is your phone. I mean, if you're, the the problem is it's sort of that cycle where you go to a networking event and you're kind of nervous and you don't have anyone to talk to. So you pull out your phone to pretend to text someone or check Instagram or whatever. And that makes it so you look really unapproachable. So you really don't have anyone talking to you. And it's like this very, very bad cycle. Um, so if exactly those, I, those very brief glances across the room can signal to someone, Hey, want to chat. And that's, that's the best thing you can do to be able to meet people. I love that. I feel like we could talk for another three hours about the science of people. I mean, probably 24 hours, I know, I know we could. <laughs> but it's just fascinating. And, and I love your work. Thank you so much for joining us today and giving us those tips. Obviously they're useful on a day to day basis. And there's so much of what we do, especially because social media is just rampant right now has to do with what we're putting out there, our energy, what we're doing physically, what we're saying and, and how we're acting really. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, I'm, I'm so happy that we got to at least dive into a little bit of some of the easy, low-hanging fruit stuff that people can do right away. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I have. If you know anybody that would benefit, please share it with them and help spread the knowledge and the motivation. If you guys would like to stay connected to Vanessa and learn more about the science of people, you can follow her on Twitter at Vivan Edwards, and you can also learn more about her and her trainings at www.scienceofpeople.com. Thank you again for joining us today. Please check out our webpage at riseofyou.com and be sure to follow us on all social media. We have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Periscope, all at Rise Up For You. And lastly, if you like what we're doing with Rise Up For You, please support us by writing a review on iTunes. Your feedback and support are really important to us. We would love to hear from you guys and learn what we're doing great and what we can do better. Thank you again. And don't forget, rise up for you, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater tomorrow.